just witness. They did a great, great job on that. Love watching the kids up here. And your kids are just beautiful. They did a great job. So I want to reflect on this scene, the Palm Sunday it's called, or the triumphal entry of Jesus. We're going to look at the scene, look at the reaction to the scene, and then we'll kind of go down and look at a parable Jesus told about it. So we'll be in Matthew 21, Matthew 21 today, and just review the events of the day. We'll review the events of what happened, then we'll look at people's reaction, and then look at a parable that Jesus told in response. So Matthew 21, let's look at the events there. And this is one of the uh, events that all four Gospels record. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record this triumphal entry or Palm Sunday. So it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. I've always loved that order. Wouldn't you think you'd say, Let the owner of the colt know that the Lord needs it and then take it. But instead, just just go and tie it, and if there's any problems, (laughs) the Lord needs it, right? So they go get it. They, they had it all worked out, or Jesus just knew exactly what's going to happen. Send him at once. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. It's just an interesting scene there that there's this alert from Zechariah. We've been looking at some of the background of the Easter story. This alert from Zechariah was that the king is coming, but you'll notice it's in a humble way, on a donkey, and then the foal of a donkey, so a young donkey. And there's, there's almost a, a silly nature to it in a way. Can you picture a full-grown man riding a baby donkey? I mean, it almost seems unfair to the poor little guy, but, uh, but there's something comical or, here's the word humble, which comes from, we use the word humiliating in a way. Not a war horse, not a chariot, nothing like what the Romans rode around on. He comes on a young donkey. So it's, it's overt, it's obvious, but he's coming in a humble, humiliating way. He's coming on a young donkey riding in, not with any soldiers around him, but a crowd of people. So that's setting the scene for what Jesus is coming to do. Verse 8, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So Hosanna is to save, it means to save us, save us now. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. 
Isn't it interesting? There was a lot of confusion. A lot of people didn't even know what's going on. Who, who's this guy? Why is he writing that? What, what's going on here? Who, who is this? They're gathered for a Passover feast, so that means lots and lots and lots and lots of people would be packed into the city. It's not a normal weekend. People come from all over the area to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. So it's packed. A guy comes in riding a baby donkey, and there's, people are going nuts, and some people are going, I don't even, what, who is this guy? What's this about? And the crowds that are with Jesus answer. So you have a group of people that have kind of made the journey with Jesus, people that he's healed. There's always a crowd around him. And then you have people in the city going, ah, who, what's this? Who's this guy? And the crowds answer, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth and Galilee. So that's his entry. It's in a humiliating way. It's in a humble way. But Matthew tells us it's actually fulfilling scripture. And so God puts this detail ahead of time so we'd notice, right? So you'd notice this is really God fulfilling what he said he'd do, but you also see confusion there. Not everyone's on board, not everyone knows what's going on, and the crowd's a little bit unsure about it. So the first thing he does here, he goes into the temple, verse 12, and he gets the conflict rolling, right? Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Even just that um, that whip, this little whip right here was it made you jump, didn't it? A little bit. Yeah, right up in the front row here. Really, ooh! Imagine that Jesus comes in. That tells us in John that he made a whip out of cords. But imagine him clearing a place. I mean, right now, the border's a little more accessible. Imagine he had to go in and clear Costco. Can you imagine that? Right? Flipping over the, your cart full of, full of products and goods and milk everywhere. Can you kind of get a sense of, like, what, what are you doing? Right? Wouldn't you be enraged? I'm just enraged when someone takes too long at the free snack count, you know, booth. Like, come on, you're done, you know. But, but, but this is a whole temple full of people, right? And he's... He's turning the place over. So I've got a picture here of where he was. So um, the temple area, the temple is the central place where worship of God took place. It was central to God's presence and blessing among the people, and there was layers of access. You have the temple itself, and there's an inner part that only a high priest can go, and then there's some outer parts. And then you start getting into courtyards, and they all have levels of access. And so the inner, you see that little wall there that I labeled dividing wall? You see that? That, that wall divided where Jewish people could go and the outside was called the court of the Gentiles. So Gentile means every other ethnic group that isn't Jewish, right? It's just, or the nations you could say. So every ethnic group that wasn't Jewish could go to the temple and that was their access point and that little wall was kind of the div- divider between the VIP section and the everyone else section. So that's, that's what's there. That's a, this is a mock-up, of course. But, so there was a wall, and the outer area that says Court of the Gentiles, that's where the marketplace was. That's where they were selling the animals. And so the idea was, when you traveled to come to Jerusalem, there were certain offerings you would do. So instead of bringing your sheep with you on the journey, right... If you've traveled with children, now throw a sheep in the back of the minivan. You're like, huh, this rest stop's more important. But um, 
You, you, so you would just buy it there. That was the whole idea. Instead of bringing animals for sacrifice, you could buy it there, which is legitimate. The problem was they put it in an area <laughs> that all the people were supposed to be able to access. So if you're not a Jew and you wanted to go and worship God, you wanted to be a part of it, you really couldn't get in there because it was like being at a giant bazaar or being at a giant swap meet, right? There's just stuff everywhere. There's animals everywhere. There's business going on. And then the other thing they would make you do is you couldn't spend your currency. You had to spend temple currency. So you had to go through an exchange process. And so the exchange could be cheated, they say, oh, your whatever coins are worth only this much today and give you a terrible rate. And so there was a, they were, the, the stuff they were selling was blocking access to people and what they were doing was cheating people. They were cheating people. They're going to worship. You've got to buy it there. You can't get the dove or the animal anywhere else. So it's in the way of people. It's being sold to you at an absorbent rate. And Jesus comes in and it's like, no way, right? He just rages. Can you imagine one person clearing that out? Imagine the, the fury, the energy, the, the passion, and that it worked. Like they, they actually left. They cleared it out. So that's the scene. That's what's going on. And so he continues here in verse 13. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you make it a den of robbers. Those are both quotes from the Old Testament. I'm going to come back to those at the end. Because that really captures what Jesus is up to. So I'll come back to those. So verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did. And the children crying out in the temple. Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. What a contrasting sentence. He's doing wonderful things, and they're mad, right? Who did all this? Who let these kids run around in here? And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. So that's, that's the situation, and we'll come back to those quotes, but the, the result was that when Jesus cleared the temple, it created access for people, people who are blind, people who are lame. Can you imagine a blind person making their way through a massive animal market? They're not going to get in there. A lame person trying to be brought to a place where they could access God and pray, they can't get in there. And so that was the result when Jesus cleansed it. So I want to look at the reaction what was the reaction to Jesus doing this? So you've got to jump down to verse 23. What did they do? He comes in, he throws the place around, gets rid of all the marketplace. If you look at verse 23, it says, When he entered the temple, so the next day he comes back, when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Let's hold there. The idea of authority is permission, freedom to act, you know, that you can just do something. I remember when I was a kid, we moved from one house just like a mile away to another house. It was kind of another neighborhood, same school, 
I was in fourth grade, and we moved into this house. And the, I remember looking at it, and there was this neighbor kid that was just right there. Like the, we're looking at the house, and he's right there, and he's telling us information. He's not the realtor. He's like a year older than me. But he was very informed and very active and following us. So we buy this house, and we come to learn that he just enters, right? You're, in the, you're doing your thing, and, hey, how are you guys doing? Like, whoa, no, no knock. He just came in. We're, and so we're like, Is, do you always do this? Oh, yeah, I go to all these houses. Like, oh, do they want you to be doing this? And his parents worked like a night shift, so they were often sleeping in the day. So there was, you know, warnings all over, do not knock, do not disturb. So he was kind of... He was on his own, and so we talked to him, and he just, this is maybe the first time I'd heard these words described. He's like, yes, I'm hyperactive, but I don't always take my medicine. You're like, oh, good to know. So, um, so anyways, I think my parents kind of said, you have to knock, right? You don't just get to come in here. And we became buddies and grew up together, but it was just this shocking thing that someone just walks in your house, right? Just walks in. Do you have authority to walk in my house? Did you have permission to just come in the door? You just show up, right? And that's kind of what they're after. Do you have authority? You just walk into the temple. First of all, you rode a baby donkey in here, and now you come in here and you just throw everything out? I mean, we've had this marketplace for years. That's always Joe's pigeon stall and that's whoever's and you just come in here and throw it around and then let kids run around there's this who said you could do that who's we're and this is the people in charge right this we're in charge we're the chief priests who said you could do that who's giving you the authority and then you just set up a teaching class right you're just going to walk in here and you're going to be the teacher so there's a real collision of authority permission this word has the idea that someone's authorized you, that you've been authorized by a government or, or official of the state, like someone, you, you're working under their authority. Someone official said you could come and clear the animals out. So that's what they're getting at. What, what authority are you doing? You just walk in here? Let's keep going. 24, Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. So he kind of sets up a little deal. He's like, I'll make a deal with you. You answer my question, I answer your question. Verse 25, the baptism of John. From where did it come? From heaven or from man? They discussed it among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man... We are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Right? Can you imagine that? You know, someone's, you're being interrogated. You, you know, officer, let me ask you a question. If you get it right, then I'll tell you how fast I was driving. <laughs> right? Who, nobody does that, right? What, what? And he just, I'm not going to tell you. He just sits there. Nobody speaks to them this way, right? No one speaks to the chief priest this way. Everybody would be coward, be afraid. And he's like, you answer my question, then we'll talk. So why, why this? He's getting at the guy called John the Baptist. Why is that a test? Why does he say, tell me, where's John from? Is he just this weird guy that showed up? Or is he really from God? Who, who is he? 
And that, that was Jesus' test. They don't answer, right? They say, well, if we say he's from heaven, then he say you should have followed him. And if we say he's not, then the people are going to freak out because they believed he was, so they just don't answer. The, John the Baptist was God's signal, right? So for all time, God has been operating a plan to redeem from the moment Adam and Eve sin. We looked at this a few weeks ago in Genesis 3.15. He's enacting a plan to rescue humanity, right? That there's going to be a, a, a serpent that's head is crushed and there's a human rescuer. And so all along there's promises made. I'm going to send a deliverer. I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send someone. And God said, I'm going to give you a two-step notice. Two-step authentication, right? You do this all the time on the internet, you type in your password, and then it says, we're going to send you a text message, and then you get the number of your text message, and you put it in the computer, and then the computer knows it's really you, so someone doesn't take your bank account, right? Two-step authentication. God said, I'm going to send that up so that you know of all the people in the world who are going to come on the scene and say, I'm the anointed one from God. How do you know? It's really him. How will you know he's really the one? He said, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to send one guy right before you that will alert. There's going to be a signal so that you know this is really the one. So we see this in the book of Malachi 3, 1 to 4. Malachi is writing in the, he's the last book in your Old Testament in the 400s BC. It says, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. See that? God's the speaker. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. That sounds like what we just read. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, he is coming. So we have a messenger, and then he says the Lord's going to come. What's he going to do? He's going to come into his temple. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. The sons of Levi are the people in charge of the temple. The priests come from there. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. So do you see that? Two steps. I'm going to send a messenger, and then the Lord's going to come, and he's going to come to the temple, and it's not going to be very fun. Did you hear that? He's going to be a refiner. What's he do? He comes into the temple, starts throwing stuff out. We're not doing it this way. We're not going to cheat people that come to worship. We're not going to block access to people who come to worship. We're not going to turn the area for the Gentiles into a farm. It's exactly what happens. So the promise of Malachi was, I'm going to send a messenger, and the Lord's going to come to his temple. This is also what John said about himself. So this guy, John the Baptist, comes on the scene. He lives in the wilderness. He wears camel clothes. He's kind of a strange guy. But he had the same message. His whole message was to say, Jesus is the one. You read this in John one twenty nine. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is John the Baptist talking. It's like, that's him pointing at Jesus. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. So he's saying, someone's coming behind me. John's saying, I'm pointing somebody out, but he's actually greater than me because he's always existed. He was before me. He's eternal. I myself did not know him, 
But for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. God's signal. John the Baptist was supposed to signal, this is the one. So he says, I don't know who he is. I've got a signal. I'm baptizing, and that's going to be a signal. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. That was a signal. John baptized lots of people. Only once did the Holy Spirit come down and remain on somebody, right? He's baptizing. Nope. Nope. Oh, you. There it is. The Holy Spirit is coming. And I've seen and more witness that this is the Son of God. So that was John. The Old Testament promise. Someone's going to come. He's going to announce. He's going to come. John the Baptist comes on the scene. He's baptizing, and he has one message, one sermon. It's him. It's him. It's Jesus. I've seen the Holy Spirit descend on him. This is the one you need to pay attention to. So this whole thing with Jesus was just basically getting at this. Rejecting John is rejecting Jesus. If they won't follow John the Baptist, who was sent by God, fulfilling Scripture, saying, then you're not following me. So that's why he threw that at them. I say, he's, I'll answer your question when you answer my question. He's basically getting, trying to get them to say, are you following me or are you not? Do you believe I'm the one sent from heaven or don't you? Because if you don't believe the messenger, then you're not going to believe me. And he was trying to get them to say it, though they kind of punted and fumbled. And he's like, well, then we're not even going to have this conversation if you don't want to say it. So the final step here is then he, he makes a parable. He actually does three of them, but we'll just look at one. I know you're going to want to eat lunch today, so we'll just do one. He makes the point in a parable. Verse 28. He says, What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. (laughs) Yes, they're like, Oh, that would get you in trouble right there. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other, Son, And said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Right? So you got that? The first one. One said, I'm not going. And they're like, you know, I probably better. Goes out and works. The other one said, I'll be right there. Never mind. I got a better offer going to my friend's house. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes... Go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Wow. So Jesus is following, this is immediately following on the conversation about John the Baptist. He says, I'll just, let's just exercise a parable he talks to two sons. One says, I'm not going, but then actually does it. The other one says, yeah, I'll, I'll go work, and then doesn't do it. They're like, well, who actually obeyed? Well, the one that went and worked. And so there's a great theologian who explains this passage. The theologian's name is Marshawn Lynch. It's just about that action, boss. 
right? He didn't want to do interviews for the Super Bowl, right? He doesn't want to talk on camera. And so Deion Sanders, why won't you talk? I'm just about that action, boss, right? I'm just going to go play. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to get in the media bites. I just want to play. I just want to play. And I think that's what, exactly what Jesus is getting at. He's like, I, it didn't matter what the first son said, right? I'm not going to go. I'm not going to listen to you. See? But then he thought about it. And he went and did it. And Jesus is saying, I would rather that you say no, think about it, and then respond in obedience than to say, yeah, I'm on board, I'm with you, and then not do it. And so this is our point today. No matter where you're starting, turn and obey Jesus today. Right? The first son started with no. No. That, somebody gasped down here. I think it should. Who, you don't say no to your parent, right? To the parents. Are you, <laughs> no, no, they're going to get more than a, they're going to get one of these. You get out there. But no, I'm not going. But then he did. And the other one, oh, yeah, I'll be right there. And Jesus is saying the one who actually obeyed is the one who did it. And he's saying, you should have realized. You guys saw John the Baptist come. You're like, no, we don't think it's him. And he said, but then when you saw what was happening, when you saw people in the worst of circumstances turning their lives over to God, you should have thought, maybe there's something to this. Because what do you say? When you saw the the tax collectors and the prostitutes, that's kind of code for everyone bad, at least in their view. Right, the tax collectors are viewed as traitors, working for the enemies. The prostitute was everyone who just lives in rebellion and wickedness. So it's sort of shorthand for saying everyone bad looked to John and thought, you know what, I want to be right with God. I want to be clean by God. I want to, I'm, I'm going to change. I'm turning to God. And he says, when you saw that, you should have said, you know what, there's something to this. I'm going to go. I'm going to figure this out. And he's saying, and they didn't. He said, even, what he said, even when you saw it, you wouldn't change your mind. And so I think that's, that's what Jesus is getting at. So I'm wondering if their response was, we just kind of like it how it is. We've got life set up how we want it. Right? We're in control. I don't know if they had some level of status or they got to boss the temple around. Maybe they got a cut from the cheap, cheating exchange of money. But they kind of liked it how it is. I've got my life set up, how I want it, how I like it. We're in control. We have authority. We have power. We make our money. And you're coming in and messing it up. And we don't really want to respond to that. So even when it looks like you're following Scripture, even when it looks like John the Baptist and then Jesus, they're like, you know, we don't want to change. We don't want to listen to you. We don't want to respond. And so they don't. They like it how it is. And this is where they are. That, I told you I was going to look at those two quotes. So the two quotes are back on in verse, when Jesus cleanses the temple, in verse 13. It is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. That second quote is from Jeremiah 7. You make it a den of robbers. So in Jeremiah's days, about five, a little over 500 years sooner than this, the people were being punished, and I'll, I'll just, we'll just read it. This is what God's saying to his people. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave you of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. 
Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it. So the indictment in Jeremiah's day is you do anything you want out there, but as long as you showed up to the temple, it's all good, we're delivered, God's here, here's my offering, we're good to go, back out, right? So it's getting at this issue of obedience. And that's the line he quotes, you've made my house a den of robbers, you made it a place where you pool together to plan your next heist, your next wickedness. God's saying, he's like, I actually want you to obey me from the heart, not just show up. So he's getting at that. So when Jesus quotes that in the temple, he's saying, you guys are doing the same thing. You externally look religious, but you don't really want to follow me. You externally show up and do all the functions, but your heart is far from me and you won't even respond when I show up and actually fulfill scripture. So that's what he's getting at with them. But the thing for us is no matter where you're starting, you can turn and obey Jesus today. He says, even now you could turn. Even he's like, even now you could see Jesus is saying to them, you could respond. What does it take to obey or trust Jesus? For him to show up on the scene, throw some stuff around in your life. And that's a lot of times when you meet Jesus after a whole mess of stuff just happened to you. It's usually when he's come and rearranged. You've had everything ordered. You've got everything nice. You lose your job. You have a marital problem. You have a teenager problem. You have a health problem, and Jesus just messed up everything. And you're going, who gave you authority to mess up my life? And so you're at this crisis moment. You're at a crisis moment, and he's saying, follow me, and you're saying, you just messed up my life. Why should I listen? So I want to look at that from here. That's the second quote was from the one there in 2113. He said, my house should be called a house of prayer. That's a quote from Isaiah 56. It says, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. So that quote is from a part when he says, I want every person to come. Right? Not, it wasn't just God working with the Jews. He's saying, I have a vision that my house, my holy mountain, will be a place where every person can come and pray. And pray as I'm calling out to God. I'm looking for your help. This is still in Isaiah. He says, The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. So when Jesus comes on the scene and sees the place where all the nations were supposed to access him in prayer, and it's all plugged up with the marketplace, he says, I'm clearing this out because my desire has always been to bring all people to myself where they can pray and connect to God. So again, I'll show you that picture again. There's the dividing wall, right? There's this big wall. You're out there, we're in here. You guys like dividing walls? 
Like being told you're on the out. Or if you're in the inner part, you're kind of like, yeah, I'm on the inner part. Look at those suckers out there, right? There's this dividing wall that says, we're in, you're out. We're God's people, you're not. And so when Jesus comes in, he sees this area. He says, no, no, there's access for all the nations. And I'm answering this question, why should I trust God? Because he's making access for you. This very wall is mentioned in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. It's talking about that wall. It's talking about the idea that there was in people and out people. And Jesus is saying, I'm making everyone in people. I went to the cross I paid the price for all sin, and all can come to me. I'm breaking down a dividing wall. So there's not these people are in, these people are out. All people from any nation, language, tribe, tongue, every nation has access. He's breaking down the wall that says you can't get close to God because Jesus is saying through my blood you can. He says by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both, meaning Jews and Gentiles, both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus' mission is to have one people of God, one family of God, all through his cross. And he's saying, I'm breaking down anything that keeps you out, any group that keeps you out. He says, what does it take to trust Jesus? You have to see that his actions are working to bring you in, not to keep you out. They felt like he came in and rearranged everything and made a mess. And he's saying, I'm creating access for anyone who will come. I'm creating a way for you to get close to God. I am the way. So that's where this whole thing, no matter where you're starting, turn and obey Jesus today. Do you ever have things where you said, I will never, and then you eat your words? This is kind of a silly one, but I remember this emphatically as a kid I will never drink coffee I'll never drink coffee I tell my parents that because they drink it and my dad's not here but uh today but I just remember that I would say I'm not drinking it. this stuff's terrible why do you drink that I hate that stuff and then they would say oh someday you'll drink it no not me I will never and then I went to college and then I got a job that started at 4 a.m. where I unlocked all the doors on campus and I tried drinking some Mountain Dews, but that just burned in the morning. I was like, oh, I'm up at 4 a.m. and I'm not handling it. So I drank coffee. And now I love my coffee. <laughs> they were right. They were right. I did come to drink coffee and look forward to coffee. I'm planning to have coffee after church today. There's a beautiful new coffee maker in the lobby as well, thanks to Sven and Sabrina. So if you're needing some coffee after this discussion, phew, right out there. But the point was, (laughs) you can have said no a long time and change your mind. And that's kind of what he was getting at with the Pharisees. Even after you saw it, even after years of them saying, no, no, we like it our way. No, no. Who gave you authority to come in here and mess up everything we've got? He's saying, but when you see what was happening, you should have still responded. And so there's this, this chance that you could have said, no, 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 for years and then you just, even right now, you're saying, I'm realizing that Jesus came and created a way for me. 
And maybe it took messing my life all up, and I'm really unhappy about that, but I turned to Jesus. We just heard that story. I'm just thinking about when Ron gave it to us two weeks ago. His son, Randy, living life, has a stroke, and now has responded to Jesus. And it wasn't really the way he would choose to have to go through that, but it brought him to God. And so sometimes you hit just a collision wall, and you say, you know, I've been saying no, 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 and it's time to say yes. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus already, and he's been just poking you about something. I want you to give me this. I want you to start that. I want you to try this. And you've been saying, no, 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 I don't want to do that. I don't want to give that. I don't want to try that. See, just trust me. It's never too late, right? He said, I'd rather you be, I'd rather you be that first son that said no and then said yes than say, oh, yeah, I'll look the part. I'll pretend. Oh, yeah, I'm right with you, God. And then you really aren't. Say, the first son. The first one obeys. And so that's Jesus' heart. He's cleared all this out. He's went to the cross. He's paid the price for you. He's saying, I've taken down any dividing walls. You can come right to me through faith, even if you've said no forever. Even if you vowed vehemently, I'll never follow God. Maybe, you, maybe he's saying, yep, right now. Let's just take a quiet moment, and I want you to listen to God speak. Maybe you've never done that. We're just going to close our eyes and just say, Lord, is there something you're telling me to do? Whether it's to cry out to him for the first time or take an action step of obedience or he's going to say, I want you to call this person today and check on them. I don't know what it is. Let's just take a quiet moment and listen to hear is God calling you to do something and then make a plan to do it. Lord Jesus, we come to you and realize all the effort you have made to bring us to you. And maybe we've been saying no, 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 and today we're going to say yes. So we're just going to pause in this moment. Would you individually speak to each one here? Let them know what you want them to do. Lord, we thank you for coming. Sometimes we even thank you when you drastically rearrange our life, knowing that it's meant to draw us into you and create access for others. And so I just pray, Lord, you give us the ability to obey you. Maybe we need to say yes to you today, that you'll be our Lord. Or yes to an action step, or yes to giving up something. Give us the courage to obey and find the joy that you have good for us. Lord, we look forward to this week as we reflect on your death on our behalf and your resurrection, our hope beyond the grave. Lord, we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to encourage you to write that down, whatever the Lord was telling you to do.